Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Heavenly Father, we do worship you. We worship you in our souls, in our hearts, in our strength. We worship you in our spirit. We worship you in our body. We worship you with everything we have. For you are worthy of everything who we are. For you created us. You are in us. You are through us. And we know that it is good and pleasant to worship you. We know it is good for our beings. We know it was good for the kingdom. We know it's good for the earth. We know it's good for all of creation. And we join in all of creation and cry out to the heavens and the earth that they also would be worshiping today. May they clap their hands. May they sing their songs. May the waves roar. And may all the frequency of your creation get in alignment with your name. In the name of your son, Yeshua Mashiach. So Yeshua, come and fill us with your spirit. Fill us with faith. May your spirit have its way throughout this study today. For we do not want to hear just words of of men, we want to hear the words of the living God directly from the throne. We ask that you would charge this atmosphere with your fire and your anointing. We ask that you would consume us in your heavenly fire that refines and refreshes. We ask that you would overwhelm us with the water of your rivers, that we would be rejuvenated, that we would be filled, that our thirst would be satisfied, that our hunger would be met by your word. For we know that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the same in the beginning was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know that Yeshua is the word. And you spoke, and everything came into existence by the word. So we ask for your presence to come and sit with us today. May you be made manifest in our expressions, in our words, in our thoughts, in our hearts. May our hearts be alive with joy because you are the king and you are the victor. We place your blood as a hedge of protection round about us. We loose the angelic host to stand guard shoulder to shoulder, fully armed and equipped, ready to pierce through with blood-dipped arrows any enemy drawing near. We bind all mind-to-mind communication, astral projection, and ask for this place to be a place of peace, residing under the shadow of your wings, for you are our fortress, our high tower, our defense, our shield and buckler in whom we trust. And may this study be a banquet table before us in the presence of our enemies, We are not of this world. We are in this world, and we are doing your assignments as your ambassadors. May our light shine brightly today. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, So a couple of thoughts. Um, One thing from last time, since we talked about the anointing oil, um, I I do want to share one continued thought. So the anointing oil 
comes from within, and it is to continually burn the fire. Keep the fire lit. The fire comes from him. He's the one that ignited us when he created us. He's the one that during the, the time of Moses, the fire came down from heaven to ignite the altar fire, and then it was to be continually burned by applying more oil. So Aaron was supposed to do this, Aaron and his sons, and his sons died because of strange fire, meaning they did not use the fire that came from Yah and maybe applied it into another place. They took that fire and and put it onto another altar. They actually took fire that they created, the strange fire that was not from heaven, and then they were consumed because they did that. And the reason uh, that this was so critical is it was very, especially during the time of Moses, when Moses had to speak to the rock the second time, everything was a prophetic act. Well, the fire was also a prophetic act as well, as well. So this was symbolic of salvation. So salvation comes from Yah. His fire is the one that lights us. He is the light of the world, and then he puts his light in us. So if we get light from another source, it is not from Yah. So therefore, Aaron's sons actually had to be consumed in death because they did a prophetic act that was not righteous. The fire always comes from him. It has to be continuous in us, and we produce the oil. So he is the light. He is the light within us. He is the source of truth. It's from him, his life, spirit, and the fire, and the breath. So all of that is why Aaron's sons had to be consumed, because they did it with strange fire. Now we think about what the enemy does with fire. The enemy uses fire in a very unholy way, of course. A lot of the the child sacrificing of placing them through the fire was through a strange fire. Uh, he does a lot of symbolism with the bonfires and those kinds of fires that are strange fires because it doesn't come from Yah. So Satan also uses fire in a very negative way. And that's why it was so critical for Aaron's sons to use the holy fire and not use strange fire. So I wanted to share that because um, that, that came up. Not as I am. We have a lot to say on Zion today from Isaiah 63. Quick recap on some of the huge things. I was thinking about that this morning. Big concepts and timing, because what we are studying in Zion, in Isaiah, is happening in the earth right now all around us. And it's all about what kind of lenses we view this through. So the interpretation of world events comes from what we've been studying if it is from a godly point of view, if it's from a kingdom point of view. So a couple of things. First of all, we've been studying Zion to build up faith and to activate, activate Zion and activate Zion in us and prepare. We talked about who and what is Zion. We talked about how to activate Zion onto the earth. We talked about Yahweh's plan of redemption in great depth. In fact, part of this whole study on Zion, I think, is, a, is, is an incredible uh, depth of the salvation and the redemption that comes from Isaiah 53 to 55. And it makes more sense when it's in that context. Uh, we discussed uh, getting who and what is Babylon and having that understanding. So that's kind of a new understanding for us in, unless we dig into Isaiah a little bit. Prophetic acts. We release the spirit of Elijah. 
this sets up the day of decision. And what are we seeing in the world today? There is a pressing of which side you're on, a pressing of a making a decision. And that's exactly what happened in Elijah. Which Israel, who are you going to serve? That comes with the spirit of Elijah. Uh, we also discussed releasing a death blow to Babylon. We discussed preparation of the latter rain, which I think we are on the precipice of. And I know that the latter rain is going to be in Yah's calendar. So we know the latter rain at Mount Sinai was at Pentecost. They denied it. Then the latter rain in the, or the, or the latter rain, the rain was supposed to come down at Pentecost at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, that, that uh, confrontation with Israel coming to Mount Sinai was at the day of Pentecost. And then, of course, we know Acts chapter 2 was at the day of Pentecost with the former rain. So we talked about the preparation of the latter rain, the latter rain being greater. And then, of course, we talked about getting the bride ready. So all of this is part of what we studied, huge, massive concepts of all of Scripture, of all of redemption, out of all of mankind's history, out of all of Yah's plan for the earth and the heavens. Isaiah is a now study. In fact, I heard a, a message online. Um, is a, just kind of a short message from uh, one, one of uh, Dan's um, friends, someone that podcast uh, did a podcast maybe a maybe about two years ago, Keenan Bridges. He was saying kind of the same things that we've been saying, and he quoted even from Isaiah 43, 19, that says, Yahuwah is doing a new thing in the earth. Well, what's the new thing? He's birthing Zion. He didn't use those words, but that's what is going on. He is birthing Zion into the earth. So even he's saying this. I'm seeing a repeated um, conversation in the prophetic community uh, about the spirit of Elijah going on worldwide. So all of this is kind of bubbling up. So we are right in line with where God wants us to be. With that said, we must have discernment though. And there are a lot of voices out there. And it is so easy to get caught up in the world events and, and getting that kind of interpretation it's easy to get caught up in interpreting the world events through the second heaven as well, because we know there's all kinds of things going on in the second heaven. We have to be constantly discerning what's Yah's plans, what is Yah doing from the third heaven, and how is it being made manifest through the second heaven and onto the earth. So we have to, and that's why I've also said repeatedly, spend time in the word, spend time in prayer, spend time, time on meditation of his character and his kingdom. Spend time in worship. So you have to be really careful of who you're listening to, even more so than ever before. We always have to be careful, but we really have to be careful right now. Otherwise, we will be swept up. Because what does the word say? The word says, if it were possible that even the elect would be deceived, meaning that most of the world will be deceived. And it is going to push us to the limit of our discernment. So we have to be in a place of discernment. When in doubt, turn everything off and just spend time with him. Because the more time you spend time with the real him, the more time you spend time with the real word or the real prophetic to understand the events of the world in the scriptures, the more time you will, under, or the better you will be able to understand and discern everything else that's coming at you. Not all voices. In fact, most voices are not good. Even in the supposed Christian circles, they're not good. They're actually being outed as wolves in sheep's clothing. 
partially why I take so seriously every time I'm sharing anything that God places on my heart. It is critical that it is true. It is critical that it comes from the throne. It is critical that it goes through prayer because otherwise I don't want to speak something negative. I don't want to speak something false because then that's on my head as well. So I take that very seriously. So take that very seriously. Anything that you, you're, you're involved in, anything that you're hearing, especially during this time. Um, also, don't be shaken. Yahweh still has the victory. He always had the victory. Part of what we're seeing all around us in the world is plans of Yah and plans of the enemy. And part of the confusion in battle is a key tactic to throw the enemy off. It's deception. Even Yahweh did deception in a holy manner. He said, okay, David, this time, go for it. Go straight on, attack the enemy. David said, can I go and fight him again? No, this time, yes. However, I want you to wait until you hear my breaking angels go over the tops of the mulberry bushes. So you wait. During the battle of Ai, God told Israel, don't go right into Ai. This time I want you to lure them out, have them chase you, and then come in behind. So part of what we're seeing in the world right now, there are different tactics being used. And many of the tactics are of God. So we need to interpret those things. So do not worry that it's not the way we think it's supposed to be. Part of the biggest problem that we have as, as humans and, and where we get disappointed is because our expectations are not met. And that includes what we expect of God. I know he is victorious. I know who the victor is, but I'm not real sure, and I don't have understanding and revelation on the path to victory. He'll give me components at different times. He'll lay out the big picture many times, but I can't see all the different paths. So if I start filling in the blanks, timing, how, who, all of a sudden I've built up expectations. And then when it doesn't happen that way, I get disappointed. And if you're really not stable in your faith, standing on the rock, you can actually have your faith shaken. So there's certain things that must happen that we're always thinking from the third heaven, even during these world events. Zion will be made manifest in the children of God. Babylon does not get a victory at the end and definitely does not get a victory before the end. And we are in the before the end piece. I also know that Babylon has to suffer a death blow. And I've been saying this a couple of times um, when he gave me revelation on this a couple months ago. It has to happen because at some point in time, then it rises up at the end, recovering from a mortal wound. I also know the latter rain must be poured out. Mighty exploits must be done by his people. The bride must make herself ready. So all of these things are happening, and that's the lens that we interpret all, all of the world's events through. So I wanted to share some of those things because we are so much in the middle of this. And I think you're going to see this throughout the study of how Isaiah 63 is, is very much for today. Um, I also want to share an, an underlying attitude. Um, 
as we look around the world events today. John chapter three. So when we met, um, Dan and Christian and Hope and Grace were in Wisconsin a couple weeks ago. I ran into a good friend of mine that is that has been a mentor to me over the years. And uh, he really is an apostle of faith. Um, just a, a very, very wonderful, wonderful man of God. And he shared something with me uh, a couple times, including that night. John chapter 3, verse 29. And this is his heart. This is his heart. John three twenty-nine. He that has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And what he was sharing was, this is the heart that he wants to have. And this is the heart that he has. And he said, Todd, this is the heart that you have, that you want to be the friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is on the move. The bridegroom is getting his bride ready. And there's a position that is available in the body that's to friend the bridegroom. That's so close to the bridegroom that he's listening, that he's cheering, that he's sharing information back and forth with, that his joy is fulfilled in seeing the bridegroom move. And this is a really tender place that is being described of John the Baptist's heart, the greatest man ever born of a woman, not only because he was the greatest Levitical priest, but his heart was, I just want to be the friend of the bridegroom. So that's the attitude that we want. We look around at the world and we see the body of Christ hoping, being shaped to become the bride. We want to be in a place that we're so secure in our identity that we're actually in a position now of not only the bride being formed within us, but we're actually friends of the bridegroom as he's forming the bride in others. That's the remnant call. You guys are beyond hoping to be the bride. You're already moving in that. Now you're the friend of the bridegroom preparing the bride. That's John 3.29. Now, recap on Isaiah 63, 1 and 4. I'm speaking really fast, I think, because I have a whole bunch of things I want to try to condense in here. I, I recap. Isaiah 63, we, we went through the first four verses uh, last time. And the first four verses, it's heavy on Edom. It's a picture of Jacob meeting Esau. So keep this in mind. They, there's always been a battle of bloodlines throughout Scripture. Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, even Abraham and Nimrod to a degree. We even have Lot coming in with Abraham, who had then the Moabites and the Ammonites. And of course, we have Jacob and Esau. So this is a picture of Jacob and Esau's battle, and it gets carried on all the way to the last days. 
We also discussed that Esau is on the throne of Babylon. He sits on the throne. And that's why Edom and Esau are so critical in the last day prophecies. In fact, if we go through scripture and, and you look at how many prophecies there are in the last days of, uh, of the Philistines, last day prophecies of Egypt, last day prophecies of Moab, last day prophecies of Babylon, Esau is the number one that he's going against. Why? He sits on the throne of Babylon. Esau is the leader of Babylon in a lot of ways. So this prophetic picture of when Jacob is about to see Esau after all of the years that he ran away, he went through his time with Laban, he had the concubines, he had Leah, he had Jacob, I mean, had uh, Rachel, has the 12 sons, he now is about to see Esau, and what does he do? He arranges his family to approach Esau in a certain manner. And what he does is he places Joseph with Rachel and Benjamin in the back. It's a place of protection. Why Joseph? Because Joseph has the birthright. It's so important to understand where the birthright lies because this is also an interpretation of world events today. So Joseph has the birthright and he's protected by Jacob as he's confronting Esau. Joseph is the one, the son of the multicolored coat. He is the one that is the priest of the family. He's carrying the priesthood, the linen cloak. He's also carrying it in a multicolored fashion, means he represents the entire tribes of the generations of Abraham that will come in as the kingdom of Israel into God's kingdom. In my opinion, this is Todd speaking. So edit, edit, edit. This is Todd's interpretation, Todd speaking. When we think about the events of the world and the concentration and the fight over the United States right now, even for those of you that are international, there is a fight over the United States. And if the United States falls, a whole bunch of other things fall. Why? I believe Todd's interpretation that a concentration of Joseph, the birthright is now in the United States. It has been building up over time. He is the multicolored coach. The United States is known as the melting pot. You have all the different tribes of all the worlds coming together. So now you have a concentration of the birthright of Joseph, where Joseph was scattered into the world, into all the nations of the world. And now all of the ethnicities of the world are coming together in the United States. And there is a concentration of the remnant of Joseph. So therefore, the enemy is trying to take out the prize family of Jacob who has the birthright behind all of the family lines. Esau really is, he's not necessarily concerned about the other presentations of Jacob. He's concerned about the birthright because it was the birthright that he denied and he decided to go after Nimrod's birthright, Babylon's birthright. So now he wants Joseph's birthright. He knows that's where the blessing is. And that's why the United States. Todd's interpretation. That's the battle we're in. We are protecting the birthright. Isaiah 63, 6 and 1. Now the transition in verse 4. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. No man can help pull off 
the execution of both vengeance and redemption, and that's why Yeshua had to do it. First, he takes care of Esau and Edom, wipes them out, dripping in blood. Because this all ties back to Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Esau, the battle of bloodlines. And we're going to see this in the rest of the chapter. So he takes out Edom, and now he's going to deal with his people. So when we see vengeance and redemption, it's actually on his people. The vengeance is not necessarily just on the enemy. He just took out the enemy all in one swoop, and now he's dripping in blood of the enemy. Now he's coming to his people. Well, Todd, why are you saying that it's vengeance on the people? First mention of the word vengeance, Leviticus 26. 26. 25. First mention, and this is right in the context of his speaking to Israel. Leviticus 26, 25. And I will bring a sword upon you that you shall not, the word vengeance, nakem, is actually said twice. Nakem, nakem of my covenant shall avenge the quarrel. So shall avenge is the same word as quarrel. Actually, it's a double vengeance is what he's saying. I'm going to double vengeance because you have what you have turned away from my covenant. So he's talking to Israel here. Now, we know, and this is, this is why we really quickly get deep and all these concepts build upon each other. We know that Israel is the circumcised of heart. Israel is the spiritual component. Jacob is the natural component. So when he's talking to Jacob today, he's talking about those people that could be circumcised of heart. When he's talking about Israel today, it's those people that are circumcised of heart, us. So he's got vengeance on the folks that are uncircumcised of heart because vengeance can lead to redemption. And he's got Redemption hand in hand. This is also tied to, we all, also, vengeance is also tied to Zion because he uses vengeance in relationship to Zion. Isaiah 34, verse 8. Isaiah 34, verse 8. For it is the day of Yahweh's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. So actually, vengeance and redemption and recompenses are for Zion's benefit. This is going to be really hard to see vengeance executed. But it's going to happen. And it's going to happen on people that our expectations might be thinking, ah, that really shouldn't happen. Oh, God, please pour out your mercy upon them. And he's saying, no, they actually need judgment. We've got to be ready for this, folks. <clears throat> All right, Isaiah 63, verse 5. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered, there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury 
it upheld me. Here's a language. You got vengeance and redemption going on in there. And I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. I'm going to stop there and let's dig into these two verses. When we think about vengeance and redemption, I was sharing this with, with my family this uh, last couple of days. In our spirits, the seven components of our spirits, two of them to me go hand in hand for me. And both of them have not really fully come forward. And I, in this morning in prayer, I ask for them to be the teachers today. That is my ruler and my mercy. And I believe they go hand in hand. Because when the mercy comes forward, it also needs guidelines or boundaries so that it doesn't get taken advantage of. When the ruler goes forward, it must act in mercy because it's so strong. Because the ruler and mercy goes together, it's really similar in a parallel fashion with vengeance and redemption at the same time. We often think about those components of our spirits or those components or character traits of God as, as almost opposites. Well, no, do judgment and vengeance over here. And then when you're done with that, <laughs> or maybe before you did, let's have mercy and compassion and redemption. But they all go together. They all go together. So now Isaiah is seeing this all together. And there's this beautiful poetic expression that he has in Isaiah 63, 5, using the first mentions. And we've done a lot of first mentions with Isaiah because I think he uses them quite a bit. So it just constantly is coming up in my spirit. Check out first mention. Check out. So here's, we're going to check this out. So Isaiah 63, 5, I looked. So the word look is nabat. It's Strong's 5027. And it means to look intently, but also with pleasure. There's a pleasure in the looking of intently. The first mention of this is Genesis 15.5. And I know that we're going to be, I'm going really fast. I would think this is a combination of the, of the ruler coming forward. But, but it's going really fast because it's going to be bam, 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 bam. Genesis 15.5. The conversation with Abram and the covenant being discussed and given to Abram. Genesis 15.5. And he brought him. Abram forth abroad and said, look toward the heaven. Look, there's that word. First mentioned, Nabat. look toward the heaven and tell the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your seed be. So the looked is tied to Abraham's generations or descendants or Israel or the circumcised of heart or the citizens of Zion. Back to Isaiah 63, 5. Another word. There was none to help. Help is azar. Strong's 58, 26. First mention also in Genesis. And we're going to start to see a pattern. And this is why I mean this is, I think, poetic and wisdom within that verse. Uh, first mention of azar or help is Genesis 49. Verse 25, it so happens to be referencing 
Joseph. So this is Jacob's blessing to his sons. And now we're getting the blessing of Joseph. Genesis 49, verse 25. Even by the L of your father, who shall help Azar you? And by El Shaddai, the Almighty, who shall bless you with the blessings of heaven above, the blessings of the deep that lies there under, and the blessing of the breasts and of the womb. So there's all these blessings of help given to Joseph. So now we, ha we have those two words tied. We have the descendants of Abraham tied, and now we have the birthright tied and the blessings of the birthright to Joseph in those two words. There's more. Back to Isaiah 63, 5. And I wondered, next, next word in the Hebrew, wondered, shamem, Strong's 8074. First mention, let's check it out, Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. And this is also to Israel, but now this is the the, the acts of disobedience and the result of it. Leviticus 26, verse 22. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, make you few in number, and your ways shall be desolate. Where is this? It actually is in that word. <clears throat> um, uh, that, that Hebrew word is coming of, I will rob you and make you few in number. It's, it's, it's a double mention in there. So the upheld or the wondered is you're actually going to be like an astonishment in a negative way. Hmm. So Todd, why did you pick out that word? What, uh, that, the first two words are so nice. You have Abraham's generations. <laughs> you have the blessings of Jacob. Okay, you'll see how this ties together because it ties back to the battle of the bloodline. Joseph and Esau. So back to Isaiah 63, 5. Building up a story. I wondered. Next word, upheld. Upheld is Strong's 55, 64. It's kamak. Kamak. First mention, Genesis 27. This, we're good in, what we're doing right now in this scripture is what I, Isaiah is going beyond 3D thinking. He's seeing the whole picture and tying it into the words. And the word is Yah, remember. So Yeshua is the word. So we're, we're going multi-dimensions in a single verse, tying the whole prophetic picture of what is happening. <clears throat> so the first mention of Kamak or upheld from Isaiah is Genesis 27. Verse 37, who is it tied to? Esau. So now we have Abraham's generations. We have Joseph's blessing and birthright. We have the astonishment of when he executes vengeance by wondered. Now we have this word that's translated upheld, and the first mention is Genesis 27, verse 37. And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, meaning Jacob, 
And all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do unto you, my son? So that word that's used there in terms of upheld is also being given, or I sustained who? Jacob versus Esau. So I sustained Jacob. That means I upheld Jacob, or I am actually taking care and blessing, protecting Jacob versus Esau. Isaiah 63, 5. I'm building up a picture for you and all these words that are here. Now, therefore, my, my arm, and we spent a lot of time on arm, brought salvation unto me. This is Isaiah 63, 5. So I'm going to jump ahead now to my fury, the word fury. Strong's 25, 34. Tema. First mention, same chapter in Genesis, Genesis 27. So we're still talking about Jacob and Esau. See how in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3, he's talking about Edom and Esau. And here in Isaiah 63, 5, there's so many underlying references to Esau. He's still talking about Esau and Jacob in relationship. So first mention of fury is Genesis 27, verse 44. This is Rebekah talking to her son, Jacob. Uh, Genesis 27, 44. And tarry with him a few days. So Jacob, go run to my brother Haran. Flee you. Oops, until your brother's fury, Esau's fury turns away. So this word fury first mentioned is tied to Esau's fury of who? Jacob, who is Israel. Then upheld is used again in Isaiah 63, 5. So what is all of this thing tying together? What Isaiah is prophetically speaking to in the depths of the scripture of Isaiah 63, 5, is he's tying together and taking us back to Jacob protecting Joseph and his descendants from Esau slash Edom. And we know why. The anger, anger and hatred of Esau towards Jacob has carried on all the way to today where Esau was the one that was constantly co-mingling. We talked about his wives. He married a Hittite. He married an Ishmaelite. He married a Canaanite. And he had a whole, he was all, inter, all mingled. We talked about the mingling of the people. We talked about the holy mingling, the unholy mingling. This is all Esau, Edom. Edom now is, and at the time of Yeshua, Caiaphas is an Edomite. He's infiltrated the priesthood. He's infiltrated government. Today, we have the infiltration of the Ashkenazis, Edom, into society. They hate Christians. They hate Joseph because they have their own birthright and blessing coming from Satan, and they hate the birthright and blessing of Joseph, and that's why they hate. Where's the hatred pointed at today? That's why all this makes, makes sense. They are not Israel, but they want to be Israel. They are not Judah, but they want to be Judah. So this verse is tying all of that together for us today. 
They are a false ruler. They're a false priest. They're an imposter. They're an infiltrator. Yeshua himself will fight against them. He's going to take out Edom. And he's going to do it for Joseph slash Israel's sake in the last days. That's the stronghold, the ultimate stronghold of the enemy. We continue to battle and we take out, we take out, we do a death blow to Babylon. We take out different components. We make Yeshua's enemies his footstool. We're engaged in all of this. But the final absolute death blow to Edom Esau is Yeshua himself. Think about the language of this scripture from Paul talks about this in Romans 9. Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated. It is intense. Malachi chapter 1. Turn to Malachi chapter 1. This is what Paul is quoting, and Malachi gets into it even more. This is is so important because this is what we're doing today. We are engaging with Esau. Esau sitting on the throne of the new world order. Malachi chapter 1, the very last prophetic word given as scripture to Israel before Yeshua's coming is this. Malachi starts off this way. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of Yahuwah to Israel. It's a heaviness. It's a weight. I have loved you, says Yahuwah. Yet you say, wherein you loved us? Yahweh says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says Yahuwah, yet I loved you. I mean, Esau was first. Esau was the same age. Esau was the older. He should have had the blessing, but I loved you, Jacob. Verse 3. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains, his government, and his heritage waste for what? The dragon of the wilderness. Same picture as scapegoat. Scapegoat is the word uh, Hazael. So Hazael is Satan. He's or, or uh, Satan's representative. He is then sent out into where the wilderness to carry off our sins. So he places all of our burdens on him, blames him. So this is the same kind of scripture. Esau is tied to the dragon. This is why I hate him. Isaiah 63 is saying this. So it's a prophetic picture of all these first mentions. Back to Isaiah 63. Now we go to verse 6. One verse down, 20 to go. (laughs) Isaiah 63. We won't go through all the verses like this. Although I kind of want to. Maybe it's my beard. Isaiah 63, verse 6. This is really fascinating. I will reread this. I will tread down the people in my anger, and I will make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. What? Bring down their strength to the earth. Okay, so let's back up. The word tread. Strong's 947, which is booze. Now, tread is always kind of a negative treading. And it's used 
three ways that I saw in scripture. One, it's used upon our enemy. So since we're in Isaiah, let me just show you one verse, Isaiah 14, 19. And it's real important to understand this treading because then we're going to understand who the strength is of the enemy. Isaiah 14, 19. Oh, guess what we're in the middle of? We're in the middle of a description of Satan himself. Isaiah 14, 19. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch. It means he's fake. He's a fake tree, false tree. And the raiment of those who are slain thrust through with your sword that go down to the stones of the pit as your carcass trodden or tread under feet. So Satan gets tread under feet. So our enemy gets tread under feet. And there's other verses, but we'll just use that. We can be tread under. Ezekiel 16. So the enemy gets tread under. We can be tread under. Take a look at how this expression is used with us. It's not used uh, with, with us very frequently. There's a very specific way that it's done. Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16, um, talking about the, uh, his people being unfaithful, rebellious, verse 6. <clears throat> Ezekiel 16, 6. And when I passed by you and saw you polluted, it's actually tread upon. So the word polluted is translated the same as it's translated tread in other places, same Hebrew word. Tread in your own blood. And I said to you, when you were in your own blood, live. Yes, I said to you that you were in your own blood, live. So what's happened is because of our transgressions, we are in a pool of our blood rather than the blood of Yeshua. We have done sacrifices of our own strength, kind of like that of Cain. God, look how great I am in the field. No, Abel has a preferred sacrifice. Yeshua's sacrifices preferred. So when we were in our own sacrifices, in our own pool of blood, Yeshua says, come live. And part of that is a treading. We're actually treading upon ourselves. It's like a self-loathing almost when we go apart from God. So the application of tread with us is different. Now there's tread by us. Zechariah chapter 10. So three different types of tr the application of the word tread. We're going to see how all this ties together with the enemy in the same verse. Zechariah chapter 10. <clears throat> now, here is Yah's army made manifest, Zion manifest in his people going against the enemy. Zechariah 10, 5. And they, us, shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets of the battle. And they shall fight because Yahuwah is with him, and the riders of horses shall be confounded. So we will tread upon the enemies. So those are three ways of tr how tread is used. Upon our enemies, by Yah. Upon us, in a different way, though. And then by us, upon our enemies. So now, going back to Isaiah 63... I will tread down the people in my anger 
and make them drink in my fury and I will bring down their strength. So these are the people that he's furious with that are part of Israel. Now, we also have to keep this in mind. Israel rebelled against God and was filled with idolatry. Today, Jacob, because Jacob's the natural man, Israel's the spiritual man, Jacob has also rebelled against God and is filled with idolatry. So when I say that Joseph's concentration is in the United States today, that's Todd's belief, that doesn't mean that all of Joseph is Israel, because not all of Joseph, even though they carry the blessing, is of a circumcised heart. You follow? Some of Joseph, who has the blessing and has the birthright, is still Jacob of an uncircumcised heart. So therefore, vengeance is poured upon them. Redemption and blessing is poured upon the circumcised part. Jacob, Israel. So he's about to pour down his fury. So Joseph of uncircumcised hearts is getting its strength from idols. They did in the past. They continue to do it today. That does not disqualify them from being part of the birthright on the earth. I know that seems confusing, but that's actually part of how God works this out. He, is, does, he does not go back on his word. That doesn't mean that they're connecting their blessing on earth to heaven. No, they're totally disconnected. But those of Joseph that are circumcised of heart, of which we are, we're connecting heaven and earth. They are not. No, they still may be Joseph. So now here comes, who are they connecting with? Bring down their strength to earth. Well, that's Sam. Bring, bring down their strength. So that means they're connecting their strength somewhere from the heavens, but in an unrighteous manner. Fury. Before I go to strength, I want to mention fury. Leviticus 26. Where does this fury come from? We mentioned it, I think, earlier, but I want to say it again in case I didn't. Leviticus 26, 28. There is a progression of God's anger upon his people to try to get them to a place where they would be circumcised of heart. And when he gets to us, when they get to a certain place of rebelling and then rebelling again and then rebelling again, you get to Leviticus 26, 28. And Yahweh says this. Then after you don't hearken to me and all these other things, then I will walk contrary to you. Also in my fury. He's not talking about some Canaanites. He's talking about Jacob. Okay, where are they getting their strength from? Back to Isaiah 63.6. This is the word strength. It's Strong's 53.32. Natash. Oh, some of you might be thinking, where did I hear that word before? It means brilliancy of color. It's identical with Strong's 5331, which is right next to it, and the other one right next to it, 5329, also pronounced Natash, which means to glitter, to be eminent as a, this is right from the Strong's definition, 
to be eminent as a superintendent of temple services and its music. In the Psalms, when you see the opening of the Psalm, it says to the chief musician, it means to the Natash. That means their strength is coming in an unholy way from the Natash, the glittery one, the chief musician one. Who comes to mind right away? Ezekiel 28. This explains it. Ezekiel 28. Again, this is the birthright Jacob, because he's not talking about the enemy. He's talking about the descendants of Jacob, who has a birthright in, in, in the earth, is, is in, engaged in idolatry with Natash, Ezekiel 28. Ay, 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 ay. Verse, um, I'll say verse 13. You guys know this. Um, you have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was recovering mentions all the stones, the nine stones, not the 12, the workmanship of your tabrets and the pipes. So he was a musician prepared in you in the day that you were created. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty and you have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness, your glitteriness, your eminence. And I will cast you to the ground and I will lay before you the kings that, ha- that they may behold you. So if we go back to Isaiah 63, this is how much Isaiah is saying in these two passages in 5 and 6. I will tread down. So I'm going to not only tread down the people, I'm actually going to get my people to also participate in this. And it is to judge. It is to judge Jacob, Joseph, unredeemed. In vengeance, because they are tied to the Natash, Satan. Are we seeing this today? There's a separation. He's trying to separate the sheep and the goats out right now of his people. It's not that his sheep, he's not separating out bad from good. He's already got that done. This is the more this is the more serious place. He's really coming for his people, and he's trying to separate out those in Jacob that will serve him and those in Jacob that will not. When Elijah came to the priests of Baal, he didn't say, priest of Baal, choose this day whom you will serve. He already knew that. He went to Israel. Israel, you choose this day whom you serve. I'm going to make an example of the priests of Baal, though. But Israel, you're, it's your decision. What's happening today in the earth is actually for good. Yah is saying to his people, you choose this day whom you'll serve. This is what's happening in Isaiah 63 and in what's happening in the earth. Hmm. 63.7. This is another good verse, too. I am looking at Kayla. Kayla's on the other side of my computer. Kayla's having fun over there. <clears throat> Isaiah 63, 7. Are we doing okay? Yes, I hope.
I can feel the C team's going a little different today. I don't know if this is the rule of mercy thing. <laughs> Kale's like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Isaiah 63, 7. I will mention, maybe this is the mercy part now coming up, your loving kindness of Yahuwah and the praises of Yahuwah, according to all that Yahuwah has bestowed on us. The great goodness toward the house of Israel. This is still about Israel today, which he has bestowed upon them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Uh, okay, a lot here too. As hard as five and six were digging at his people to see who this day they will serve, now he comes back and talks about the extension of his grace and mercy and his loving kindness. Exodus 4. <clears throat> Jacob Esau, birthright. This is all about birthright, Jacob Esau. Exodus chapter 4. So i got to build something else up. Exodus 4, <clears throat> verse 22. So this is Moses. Now he's supposed to give a message to Pharaoh. And you shall say unto Pharaoh, thus says Yahuwah, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So Israel is my son, my firstborn. Okay, keep that in mind. Numbers chapter 3. There's layers of firstborns in the kingdom. Well, of course we know Yeshua is the begotten son. He is the firstborn. He is the firstfruits. So in Yeshua is the firstborn. So then he's saying, Israel is my firstborn. All of Israel is my firstborn. Really all of Jacob, but he's prophetically implying Israel. Not just Jacob. It's Israel is my firstborn. Now he goes on. Numbers chapter 3. Also, major prophetic implications. Numbers 3, verse 12. This is after the golden calf and the implementation of the Levitical book of the law, precept. And I beheld, I have, I, and I, behold, I, Numbers 3, verse 12. And I, behold, I have taken the Levites, from among the children of Israel, instead of all the firstborn that opened the matrix, opened the womb amongst the children of Israel, therefore the Levites shall be mine because all firstborn are mine. So now he's saying the Levites are his and the Levites are the firstborn. The Levites are the first, the priests are the firstborn. Ooh. Okay, First Chronicles chapter 5. Let's check out this. We're building up a story of this firstborn and the loving kindness that he is going to extend to the firstborn. First Chronicles chapter 5. You'll see how all this ties back to what we just discussed. Uh, verse 1. First Chronicles 5.1. Now the sons of Reuben the firstborn of Israel in the natural, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. 
Remember the multicolor court wearing guy? Who's also the priest. So it all ties together. <clears throat> and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brothers, and of him came chief ruler or prince, but the birthright was Joseph's. So we have firstborn is Israel, spiritual or Israel, circumcised heart. Firstborn is the priesthood, and the firstborn uh, is in the birthright is Joseph. So what we really want to do is you want to be circumcised of heart, be a priest, and have the birthright. Tie it all together. It's the highest concentration of being the firstborn. And that's why I think prophetically in today's world, the United States has the highest concentration of the circumcised of all races and nations, the circumcised of the firstborn of the priest, the circumcised of the firstborn of the priest of Joseph. And that's why Satan hates us. There's no other nation like this. So we need to see all of these world events and say, no, we are Joseph. We are the bride, the multicolored coat. And we need to understand who this is. Because understanding the whole, the true body, is how we manifest the kingdom of God onto the earth. Hence the blessing, but also hence the warfare. They go hand in hand. So all of these things tie together. Check out the loving kindness piece now in Isaiah 63. So now that we have that established and kind of where this is going to, because he talks about toward the house of Israel, mercies, his mercies, according to his mercies, toward the house of Israel, and we've just talked about the firstborn, is Rachem. Strong 73:56. Yes, it also means compassion. But listen to this. It also means the womb as cherishing the fetus. So when you have the expression bowels of mercy, it's really within a mother the protection and the compassion given to the child within her, that's Rakhem. God is birthing the firstborn Israel, the firstborn priesthood, the firstborn Joseph, the firstborn Zion onto the earth. His compassion is as a mother protecting the child, being connected one with the child within her womb. That's mercy. So part of the call that Isaiah is going through, and now he's described, good grief, Isaiah, you're talking about vengeance and fury and, and Satan, and now you're talking about birthing a child, which is the firstborn altogether. Yes. Because it's all happening at once. And that's why there's chaos in the earth, because all of this is happening together. So part of the call of Zion to be released and built is also to cherish the word as a seedling, to bring forth faith, cherish Yahuwah's kids as seedlings, and that's how Zion gets birthed. The word, Yahuwah's kids, and Zion. All together. Zion was supposed to be birthed through Rakhem, mercies, 
into Jerusalem, but we know in our study that Babylon was birthed there. Therefore, Yahuwah is going to birth Zion throughout circumcised Israel, throughout Joseph, and then bring that Zion component within his body back to Jerusalem after his return, hence the return to Jerusalem in the promised land in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 30, and Isaiah. But we don't need tickets because that's going to happen afterwards. He first is going to birth Zion, destroy the enemy, and then that happens. Let me show you this prophetic picture. Luke chapter 25. We've talked about the prodigal son before. Now we're going to look at it in a different context. The prodigal son, you've heard it preached over and over and over again. I've mentioned in the past, the prodigal son really is Israel and Judah. Judah is the one that's close by, never leaves the father, is still married. Israel is the one that disregards all of the components of the father, goes, sleeps with the pigs. Remember I talked about alignment with idolatry, even though Judah also had idolatry. It was a different kind of idolatry. Israel eventually comes back in salvation, and Judah is mad. That's why Judah vexes Israel, and we read that verse before. But now look at the prodigal son in a different way. As the, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. Oh, here we got that robe thing again. Oh, how did that happen? <laughs> because it's prophetically tied back to Joseph's multicolor robe. It's Israel, Joseph. Bring the robe is also the priesthood. Firstborn, firstborn, firstborn. Israel, priesthood, Joseph. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Ah, the ring is his namesake. He now has the authority of the king. He is the ambassador of the king. You put shoes on his feet because now he has the inheritance to go into the land. He has inheritance of the earth. So what's happening is when Joseph gets circumcised of heart is Israel, is become, walks into the priesthood. Zion is birthed in all of his people that are scattered around the earth. Zion is birthed and eventually comes back to be with Judah. And Judah is astonished at her. Hence, Zechariah 12, 13, 14, where Judah looks around, sees the one whom he has pierced. Mercy, compassion, a spirit of supplication is poured out on Judah because Joseph already has it. The prodigal son already has it. Now Judah needs to get saved. This is part of the call of building Zion in Joseph, scattered around the world, concentrated in the United States, to be the prodigal son that then has the robe, has the signet ring, and then has the new shoes for inheritance. We're seeing that before our eyes. I'm going to give you a prayer strategy, not a birth sign. I saw this in scriptures. I want to build on this in scriptures. How to birth this prodigal son. And not only the prodigal son returning, the prodigal son being anointed. Because he represents Zion. He's the manifestation of Zion. 
Psalm 71. I saw this a few weeks ago. I was like, ah, this is, this is, this is how we do this. Isaiah, I mean, a Psalm 71, verse 15. I'm going to go through several scriptures really fast so you can start seeing a pattern. Psalm 71, 15. My mouth shall show forth your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I know not the numbers. Righteousness and salvation. Psalm 98. Verse 2. Yahuwah has made known his salvation. His righteousness has he openly showed in the sight of the nations. Hmm. Isaiah. 45. Isaiah 45 and start. Oh, yes. Let's just do verse 8. Drop down, you heavens, from above. Let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation. Let righteousness spring up together. I, Yahuwah, have created it. Isaiah, since we're close by, Isaiah 46. Verse 13. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off. And my salvation shall not tarry. Oh boy, listen. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Boom, boom, boom. Righteousness, salvation for Zion in Israel, my glory. Isaiah 51. We've gone through these verses in the study, but now I'm linking them all together. Isaiah 51, starting in verse 5. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. My arms shall judge the people. The islands, I still didn't do a study on islands. I got to do that at some point in time. Shall wait upon me and my arms shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look down upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke. The earth shall wax old like a garment. They, shall, they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, you that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, circumcised heart. Fear not the reproach of men. Do not be afraid of the world. Neither shall you be afraid of their revelings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Let's build up more faith. Isaiah 61. These are all verses we did a lot of study on, but now we're linking them together. Isaiah 61, verse 10. 
and think about the context of this one. I will greatly rejoice in Yahuwah. My soul shall be joyful in my Elohim, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So the bride is taking on righteousness and taking on salvation as a garment in that context. Isaiah 62, verse 1. <laughs> For Zion's sake, we tie it to Zion, to brides, to, to Joseph, to Israel. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until my righteousness goes forth as brightness and salvation as a lamp that burns. One more verse. Romans 10. This is like the heart of the quote-unquote New Testament salvation. Romans 10, verse 10. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Isaiah 56, 1. We'll summarize it. You guys are seeing where I'm going with this. I'm going, this is, where, this is where the Holy Spirit's taking us to. Isaiah 6, uh, 56, verse 1. Thus says Yahuwah, keep you judgment and do justice. Till he's overthrown. For my salvation is come near and my righteousness to be revealed. This is the key to praying Zion to be made manifest in his people. Pray for righteousness and salvation to be dropped down from the heavens, to be received in good soil into good ground and birth forth Zion. Zion, when we think about the temple of God, we are the temple of God. We want to prepare our temple for his manifest presence. We want to welcome him in. We want to have, it be, have us be a home for him. Make your abode in me. Zion wants to make its abode in the earth. And the way it does it is the earth has to receive and start to produce righteousness and salvation from the heavens. And then when righteousness and salvation start to spring up from the earth, Zion is welcome and starts to make manifest. Yahuwah makes manifest when we move in holiness and when our hearts are prepared for him and that we want to have Yeshua sit on the throne of our hearts. We are now welcoming the presence, the manifest presence of Yah into the temple, us. The earth, when it receives righteousness and salvation from above and starts to birth them from within, it is making itself ready for Zion to be made manifest. So if we want more of Zion to be made manifest, which now is the time to be done, our key is we pray for righteousness and salvation to spring forth from the earth. That's the key. 
Genesis 18, 19. Tying it back to the previous two verses in Isaiah. Genesis 18, 19. For I know him, Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of Yahuwah to do justice and judgment, that Yahuwah may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of. So if Abraham is going to command his generations Tying all the way back to the whole thing that we saw in the first uh, verses five and six. If he's going to command his generations to do justice and judgment, what is he doing? He is praying and building into his generations a place where the manifest presence of God is welcome. That's his throne, the pillars of his throne, justice and judgment. He, Abraham is looking for a city made without hands. What is Abraham really doing? He is looking for Zion onto the earth. And how does he do it? He prays for God's manifest presence, the pillars of his throne to be present. Now what Isaiah is saying to us is you want the city made without hands to be made manifest onto the earth? Pray for righteousness and salvation. And then the generations of Abraham who are blessed will dwell in that place, that city made without hands onto the earth because they will bring down God's presence because they are in a place where they are welcoming God into the temple with justice and judgment. And now the earth is welcoming Zion with righteousness and salvation. And then the people who are God's temple can dwell in Zion, on the earth, the city without hands. That's the connection. This is like the master plan. You guys are sitting before Isaiah at the master planning council session in the heavens on how to make Zion manifest onto the earth. This is, this is the council of the master planning in the heavens. That's the revelation that Isaiah is giving us. Abraham was blessed because he was obedient in faith to make his generations a place for the manifest presence of God, but he still was missing where they would dwell, the city without hands. Isaiah now takes us and ties it to the last days for us and says, now make the city without hands manifest on the earth. And here's how you do it. Righteousness and salvation. Isaiah 63. Let's see how far we get. Isaiah 63. Verse 8. For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. I really got stuck on this verse. <laughs> like, God, I don't understand. Surely they're your people that do not lie. They're always lying. We're always lying. How can you say surely? And meaning surely we will not lie. Therefore, you're our savior. Well, what happens if we're stuck in lies? Then you will not be our savior. I don't get it. <laughs> so I got stuck on this for a while. 
over the last few weeks. And he finally said, Todd, you're not getting it. <laughs> this goes back to the depths of how much he loves us and how he sees us. Let me explain. First Samuel chapter 15. I wasn't getting it. Now I kind of get it. <laughs> Children that lie not, so they're your, so I'm your savior. What? But we're lying all the time. <clears throat> First Samuel 15. <clears throat> all right. I think you guys are going to like this. First Samuel 15, verse 29. So Samuel is talking to Saul, but he's talking about someone else, not Saul. First Samuel 15, 29. And Samuel said to him, Yahuwah has torn the kingdom from Israel. First Samuel 15, 28. I'm just backing up just to give you the context of this. Has torn the kingdom of Israel from you, Saul, this day, and has given it to your neighbor of yours, because he is better than you. But listen to this, 29. 1 Samuel 15, 29. And also, the word in the King James is translated strength, but I'll get into what this means. Of Israel, of Israel, back to Israel, priesthood, Joseph. Will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Hmm. The word strength is really eternity, everlasting. So the everlasting of Israel. I am that I am. I'm always present. It's similar to that. The everlasting of Israel, the eternal one of Israel, does not lie. Hmm. So what is happening back to Isaiah 63. The Holy Spirit said, Todd, you're not getting this. Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. He views us through his eternal one, his savior, Yeshua. So much so that Yeshua is not a man that he should lie. So when he views us, the olive trees standing before him, he sees Yeshua to the extent of surely the olive trees will not lie because surely the eternal one of Israel does not lie. I don't know why I didn't see that. I, I've talked to you guys about how I don't have guilt, uh, uh, consciousness of sin, but this is like another, this is something that I guess didn't get rooted out in me all the way until now with this verse. He doesn't see us even as lying to the point where because we don't lie, he's our savior. What? Because he's our savior, we don't lie. And because we don't lie, because he's our savior, he is our savior. His eternal one, Yeshua, who does not lie, when he looks at us, he looks at Yeshua, his eternal one, who does not lie. That's what he's saying. Savior. 
the word Savior in Isaiah 63, verse 8. First mention of this, Exodus, ties all the way back around to today. And I'll show you in a second. Um, Exodus 14. Tie, 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 tie. It's all, it's all connected, all connected, all connected. We are living so much in today, Isaiah, so much today in Zion, in everything that's happening. Everything is connected together. Exodus chapter 14. Israel sees the mighty hand of God through the plagues, through the deliverance of Egypt, through the transfer of wealth. They are freed. Exodus 14, verse 30. Then they come to the Red Sea, and they're stuck. Exodus 14, 30. Thus says Yahuwah. Thus Yahuwah saved Yasha. That's the word in Hebrew. Yasha. Yahshua. Yasha. Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So what's the tie of the first mention of his salvation, his being the Savior, his redemption of us? It is when they're pressed against the Red Sea, even though they saw all the miracles, he was still rooting out unbelief that he had the power to deliver them from Pharaoh. They had nowhere to go. They had the Red Sea in the front. They had Pharaoh's army in the back. Only God could deliver. That's where we're at today. And I think we've talked about that. We are in a time where we are pressed against the Red Sea and we have the enemies pressed against our back. Only God can deliver. Yasha. Isaiah 63, verse 9. <clears throat> That's the first mention. It ties us right back to the deliverance of Israel from the armies of Pharaoh. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence, Yasha, them, saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. So there's a transition that Isaiah is going to go through. He's going back to, I'm doing all of this for you guys. And the reason that there's also has to be vengeance and deliverance is because some of you are not getting it yet. And I'm not speaking of you, Bradshaw. Some of you, Jacob, you're not getting it yet. And what I, I love here about this verse is the angel of his presence. He's always there in the midst of his kids. The angel of his presence, that word presence, is a word you guys all know. Panim. His face. His face is always in the presence of his Kids. His face is always available to his kids. Even those that are rebelling against him. He's the one that even though they don't acknowledge it, he's carrying them on his back. 
the the core transgression that humanity has is unbelief in him. Hebrews 3 and 4 lay it all out. It's the core transgression. We really don't believe he's creator. We really don't believe he loves us. We really don't believe that he calls us children who cannot lie. It's all unbelief. And unbelief is really not understanding, acknowledging, getting revelation on who he truly is. Even Satan, standing before God, did not fully understand that he is God and Satan is not. It was unbelief. Unbelief that we are truly forgiven for all sins, all transgressions, all iniquities. Unbelief that he's not good in this situation because we have not been healed on the earth now in the manner we have, that manner we want. It's unmet expectations. Unmet expectations is unbelief. And all these other attacks that we have, especially in the earth right now with fear, fear is opening the door to unbelief being sown and rooted, and that's the core of it. Unbelief. So Isaiah 63.9 is saying, no, his face, Yasha, Yeshua, is always there. In fact, even when you can't see his face, that's because you're on his back. And he's carrying you. That's what's happening. Hmm. I'm just wondering how far we go today. Where do we stop? I'm going to jump ahead to 15. I'll do a couple of verses in here, point out a couple of things, and then we'll stop. <clears throat> 15, 16, 17. <clears throat> the verses that I skipped over, by the way, are speaking of Yahweh delivering his people through the Red Sea. It's tying directly into today. <clears throat> 15, 16, 17. Look down from heaven. Isaiah 63, 15, 16, 17. Look down from heaven and behold, from the habitation of your holiness and of your glory, where is your ka'ana, your zeal, your jealousy, and your gabor, your glory, your strength, I'm sorry, your strength, <clears throat> the sounding of your bowels, I love the King James on this, but I'll explain this in a second, the sounding of your bowels, sounds like you're gassy, and of your mercies toward me, He's not gassing. Are they restrained? Doubtless, you are our father. You are our Abba. Though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. You, O Yahuwah, are our Abba, our Redeemer. Your name is from everlasting. O Yahuwah, why have you made us to err from your ways and harden our heart from your fear? Return for your servant's sake, the tribes of your inheritance. 
So you can see a lot of that language all being tied together. So here comes the real mercy. So where is your Ta'ana and your Geborah, your glory? These are like pleas of loving emotion. Isaiah is pleading, show us your emotion, your compassion to us. So sounding of the bowels. This is Hebrews, or Strong's, 4578. And you can look this right up in Strong's. It actually means uterus. Yes, I said that. Or seat of generation. It's your reproductive organs. And the word mercy there, going back to what we already discussed, rakem, is the womb or the cherishing of the fetus. So what Isaiah is saying is, please look down from heaven, from the habitation of your holiness and your glory, with your jealousy for us and your strength, because from your womb, from your reproductive organs, you are our father. Isaiah is describing such intimacy that I'm acknowledging I came from your womb. It's like the total absence of unbelief. I exist from within you, from within you, from your nature. I came from, and so descriptive, that your, your uterus, your, your womb with passion, and with, with jealousy, you birthed me. So you are my Abba. This ties to Isaiah 64, 8 that we'll get to at some point in time in the future. But now, O Yahuwah, you are our Father, our Abba. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. So not only do I now understand that I came from your uterus, I came from your womb, I came from within you, but because of that, my life is yours. It always was. It always was. And then Isaiah looks at it in a different way. Doubtless you are our father. So there's no doubt you are Abba, even though I don't understand how I connect bloodwise to Abraham, how I connect bloodwise to Israel. That's what he's saying. I am circumcised Israel. I do connect to all the promises that you've given to Abraham. They're all from me because I came from you. That's what's happening. This is so strong of a, of, a, of a statement of faith that Isaiah is making. For you are our Redeemer. You are the one. You are the Redeemer from everlasting. So here's the error part. Here's why we get hung up on not doing it. It's hardening our heart from your fear. So here's the key for us. We talked about the key in birthing Zion onto the earth. 
Righteousness and salvation. Huge key for us to pray now into. Pray, 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 pray into. Now for us. We want to get to this place that Isaiah just proclaimed as a statement of faith. What gets us against this is the hardening of our heart from his fear. So the fear of Yahuwah, Deuteronomy chapter 5. This will be the concluding um, thought of the day. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Moses is recapping when Israel was brought before Yahuwah at Mount Sinai, and they refused him. They turned away. So Deuteronomy 5, 29. Oh, that there was such a heart in them, Israel, Jacob, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and their children forever, that they would fear him. Proverbs 9. You guys all know this. We'll see how this ties together. Proverbs 9. Verse 10, the fear of Yahuwah is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So especially during this worldly season called Christmas, do we fear a baby Yeshua? Do we fear a baby Jesus? I don't think so. Do we fear... I'm using Jesus on purpose because this is the language of the church. Do we fear Jesus hanging on the cross? Part of what Satan, I think, has done to us is he got us into this mode that in our finite minds, not connecting our souls to the spirit, but in our souls, that we see Jesus as a baby, not very scary, not very powerful. We see Jesus dead on the cross not very scary, not very powerful, rather than interacting, communicating, living, breathing with the resurrected Yeshua, the great and glorious one, who comes from Basra with blood dripping on his garments after ripping apart his enemies, probably just with his word. So why the fear of Yahuwah? Why is this so important? It's because it ties to the beginning. The beginning of wisdom. Tied to the fear of Yahuwah. It ties, what did Isaiah just do? It tied to our beginning. Coming from his womb. Our origin. The fear of Yahweh ties to our origin. It ties to the origin of fire. We talked about fire in worship last time. We tied it to the origin of where does our light come from? It comes from him. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahweh. First mention of the word beginning, which is the same beginning that we just read in Proverbs 9. All the way to the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahuwah. So from the beginning is the fear of Yahuwah. Oh, Yahuwah, that I would fear you. 
The word hardened that's used in Isaiah 63. There's only one other mention of this word. It's Isaiah 63 and then Job 39. Turn to Job 39. Only mention. So hardening our hearts from the fear which is tied to the beginning, which is tied to our origin, our place of birth, which is him, himself. We did not get spoken into creation out of nothing. We got spoken into creation out of him. Other parts of creation get spoken from nothing. We got spoken um, into creation from him. Job 39. This is going to sound really strange as we read through this, but you guys are going to start to get this and we'll tie it together. Hardening the heart from the fear of Yahuwah. Job 39, verse 13. You gave them goodly wings, and uh, you gave goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers to the ostrich. How is this tied to Isaiah? You'll see this. which leaves her eggs in the earth and warms them in dust. There's your tie. Listen, it's tied to the earth. The ostrids leaving their eggs in the earth, tied to the earth, and forgets that the foot may crush them from above or that the wild beast may break them, Satan. She, the mother, the birthing mother, is hardened. There's that word hardened. Against her young ones, against her children, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because Elohim has deprived her of wisdom, neither has he imparted to her understanding. Ties to Proverbs 9.10. So the hardening of heart to the fear means we are disconnecting the mother component, the birthing component, with the offspring component. There's a disconnection there. And when there's a disconnection, there is no wisdom, there is no understanding. So what Yahweh is saying to us in Isaiah is the way we harden our hearts is we do not acknowledge that we are the children of Yahuwah coming from his bowels, that we were created from his essence. We are not acknowledging that, so we are cutting that off, and now all of a sudden you have no wisdom and no understanding. The beginning of all of this is when you cultivate the spirit of the fear of Yahuwah. The fear of Yahuwah is the beginning. It's the beginning of our belief structure that we are the children of Yah. The ostrich has no wisdom because she's disconnected from her kids out of fear. So when we look in the world around us today and we're operating the spirit of fear, which is being placed upon the world by the enemy, 
not the spirit of the fear of Yahuwah. It's the spirit of being disconnected from Abba. That's what the AI wants to do. That's what humanism wants to do. Disconnect us from our origin, the beginning. So what do we do? We pray for the spirit of the fear of Yahweh upon the earth to reconnect us to Abba. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our origin. And the spirit cries out from within us, Abba, Father. And we hear the bowels of your mercy of compassion toward us. Because that's where we came from, from you. I pray for all of Jacob in the earth that the spirit of the fear of Yahweh would go forth. That there would be a mighty shaking even more that has already taken place. That the ground would be ripped up in preparation to receive righteousness and salvation from heaven. That the earth would swallow the seeds and the latter rain would come and spring forth righteousness and salvation. Father, we rebuke the fear of the enemy. We receive no part of his fear. For we acknowledge that we came from you. And if you are for us, who can be against us? And there are more with us than are more with him. And beautiful are the feet that those that bring salvation. So we take our beautiful feet that you have given us shoes of inheritance and we tread and trample upon the enemy in our lives. We stomp and we stomp and we stomp upon his head. For you said that he might bite our heel, but we would stomp on his head. You said we are to put all of your enemies under your footstool, under your feet. For just like you see us without lying because you see Yeshua, you see our feet and the enemies under our feet because you see Yeshua's feet when you look at our feet. Father, we embrace the spirit of the fear of you. We reverence you. We declare you holy and majestic. And we ask for your kingdom to come and make itself manifest unto the earth. Make Zion make manifest unto the earth. We destroy the connecting components of the mountains of the kingdom of this world this day. We set off bombs and booby traps. Rip up 
their explode their roots, explode their connections, explode their connections to realms and dimensions around the earth. So that when you said, speak to the mountain, if you had faith the side of a mustard seed, it would be removed into the waters. So we can declare unto the mountains of the kingdom of this world, be removed into the waters from which you must go. So that Zion would establish herself on your mountains into the earth. We rejoice for you are bringing forth your mountains and removing the mountains of the earth. Just like after the flood and the mountains came forth and sprung forth to receive your government, we declare this day that the earth is ready to bring forth your governmental mountains to receive Zion. And once again, we declare victory, 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 and loose the angels of victory throughout the earth, that they would wave the banner of Yahweh Nissi, that they would blow the trumpets in Zion for the enemy is on the run and your camp is on the move. We release the singers and the dancers that rejoice, that celebrate. We are surrounded by songs of deliverance. And we declare unto Jacob to raise up the circumcised of Israel, to raise up the priests, to raise up in righteous manner the blessing and birthright of Joseph. Zion, you are welcome into the earth in righteousness and salvation. Yah, we thank you that you call us friends and that you reveal your plans to us, that we can participate with you in your kingdom and alignment of heaven and earth this day. Thank you for your face, your panim, that shows forth your anointing, your consuming fire before our face. We thank you for your vengeance, and we thank you for your redemption. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 